an era of a lot of change and excitement. And I see it throughout Central America and, and producing countries, there's like a, a thriving local thirst for these coffees. So it's really a beautiful time for coffee in producing countries. Welcome back to Drip, a DC coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. For today's episode, we have the great crew from Unido Cafe, Benito Bermudez, Ferris Jabale, and Mario Castrellon. The cafe, which will open in La Cosecha Market, is part of the partner's vision to bring Panamanian culture and food to the world. It is the result of their journey to bring the best Panamanian coffee into Mario's restaurant, Maito. Maito is number 29 in San Pellegrino's list of Latin America's 50 best restaurants. The cafe brings life to all Panamanian coffee, geisha, and the like. Their eight Cafe Unidos throughout Panama, Washington, D.C. is the home of their first stateside establishment. Our conversation touches the history of Maito, Cafe Unido, and what it's like to enter a foreign market. Make sure to sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. Thank you guys for being here. We got uh, the three leaders, if you will, of Cafe Unido. And from Panama, flew in this week and uh, here to tell us about your project in the U.S. and some of the expansion. So we have Ferris, we have Benito, and then Mario here. We'll just kind of start with you, Mario, and then go around. If you want to just kind of say who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then I'll have more questions for you. So yes, I'm Mario, and I'm actually a chef from Panama. We have, or I have, this restaurant called Maito, which is like the first restaurant of plenty that we have been building in Panama, of the group. So I studied in Spain. When I was there, like, it was when Spain was going into, like, getting a bit better than France, probably, or something like that, and, and recovering the old recipes and doing, like, what Spanish food is, like, all about, like, produce and the love to the ocean and to the land and so on, right? Mm. So that was, like, what I got in my head, like, melting pot. Okay, you got to focus on your land, your product, your produce, what do you do, and be proud of it. When I got back to Panama, like, in all Latin America, the whole region, and more in Panama, probably people will feel prouder of taking someone to a... Spanish restaurant or a French restaurant or Italian restaurant than to a Panamanian restaurant. Hmm. So my focus was like, whoa, we actually, we don't have a Panamanian restaurant itself, even though there's a whole bunch of them. Or let's narrow down like to fine dining Panamanian restaurant. Mm -hmm. So that was like the main focus. First, I started out just as a chef for a restaurant called La Posta, owned by a really cool guy, David Hennessy from New York. And that was like my master degree after getting out of college, you know, and I learned a lot. I was like from the beginning till I left. Like, but he, he showed me the, like the way of how to create a restaurant, even though I was not doing Panamanian food, which was like what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to showcase Panamanian food. So after three years of doing that and getting like some Panamanian flavors around this Mediterranean Italian restaurant, what it was, La Posta, that was like his influence coming from New York, you know, like very Italian. I figured out that people actually like having these Panamanian flavors on fine dining. So we opened a restaurant and that's when Benito, even though I know Benito from all my life, we've been friends or we have known each other like since little, I guess. But our other partner, which is like a really, really good friend of Benito, called Benito and we opened Maito, which is like 
uh, first restaurant of the group. And where I started developing like all this Panamanian food, like mm. um, let's do Panamanian food and try to tackle this. So we opened the restaurant. We started like with a 50-50 Panamanian food and, and international food, not to be like that aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then like somehow we were getting the Panamanian part, like they were not ordering too much that part of the menu, you know, like, because there was like people preferred to order a risotto than a huacho. A huacho is actually a rice, that it's like a creamy rice, the traditional, traditional one. It's like a overcooked, overdone rice, like sticky, horrible, but it's not a sticky rice, it's just like an overcooked rice. Hmm. But if you go to the fag of it, it's just like a creamy rice, and if you make it as in the fine dining industry, it will look as a risotto, probably, but it won't have like any butter or cheese on it. It's like the broth and, and the whole concept. Yeah. So people were ordering the international food, not yeah. the Panamanian food. Not the Panamanian food. Okay. Because of some of these connotations of what it was. But somehow, like, mm-hmm. they, they felt somehow better having a I'm gonna pay 20 bucks for a risotto I won't pay 20 bucks for a traditional Panamanian mm-hmm. dish we went over that and we battle and we tackle that all the way and we try to make everyone proud like hey this is what we got this is what we have and this is what you want to show your invites from outside you know like and there's nothing wrong into it we're using the best product we're using Panamanian produce best quality why not and after like two years of that, it just blew out and it came out to be my either. You know, like people start liking or accepting Panamanian food. Mm-hmm. The Panamanians. Obviously, for tourists, it was always like, oh, great, I have a finite place where to eat Panamanian food upscale. And after the third year, it will be, or fourth year, we opened a second restaurant. It was a smokehouse that went great, it did what it had to do. And then Unido came along. And that was part of the whole research of like um, looking for the best product and what you could Google and say, this is the best of Panama. That mm-hmm. was like always in the back of my mind, like trying to expose like the whole era of the 50 best restaurants of the world or Latin America or the Michelin stars. It went through like what the chef could find that it's the best of their country and probably treated as, oh, this is the best. Mm-hmm. And in my search, like, during all these three years, I went, like, deep in the jungle. I went far out places, like, you got to get, like, into a car ride and then a plane ride and then a boat ride. And 18 hours later, you're in the middle of nowhere and indigenous communities and trying to find all this, like, forest food. But always coffee was, like, on there, like, coffee, coffee. And we have always known, like, no. I've drank coffee all my life. We have always known that Panamanian coffee is like good coffee. But I, I was looking like for some other things since coffee, it's like coffee, you know, like, yeah, yeah coffee sometimes, right? <laughs> for some people. And me being a chef, I was looking for this, like, I don't know, like, uh, I wanted, I found fiddleheads. Fiddlehead, it's like a fern of a, it's a fern. So when they gave me this in the jungle, they call it um, in their native language, Kalalu. And it was like this weird fern. And I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> I got it. I'm going to go out there and show everyone. Like, I got the Kalalu, the best Kalalu jungle food in the world. I'm going to be worldwide famous. I post Kalalu. whole bunch of people like, yeah, fiddleheads. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> everyone has this. I mean, it sounds like you really were exploring and chefing. I don't know if we can make that, yes. a, that a verb. But chefing in Spain. And they taught you to really focus on 
kind of your regional food yeah. and share that with the world. And so that's, that's what right. you did in Panama and are starting to share that even on the international scale. Yeah. And you mentioned Benito being a childhood friend. Benito, do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and your yeah. relationship with Cafe Unido? Yeah, as, as Mario said, we've known each other for years. We became more acquainted when we opened Maito. I was closer to our other associates. And initially, actually, they contacted me. I used to work in real estate. Okay. So they contacted me to find a, a place for uh, <coughs> Maito's new home. And along that way, in the search, started talking about food, started cooking together, and they offered me to be a part of the project, which I loved. I was a big fan of Mario in La Posta, and I was like, right on, man, I definitely can get into this. I felt this new movement happening with Mario and, and Panamanian food and finding that a Panamanian identity. So I was really turned on to that. And the first couple of years, as Mario said, I was inactive. I would go hang out. I would try new dishes. I started getting into how he developed flavors and research. As he said, when we were talking about what products to find, coffee was always on the radar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, coffee. I, I drank good coffee all my life. My parents big coffee drinkers, so I knew Panama had really amazing coffee. But at that time, like any producing country, most amazing lots were exported, mm -hmm. of course. So it was really hard to find really great coffee in the city. Everyday coffee, when I was young, was probably a really nice, well-grown tipica. But it was really hard to find that, the good stuff. Doing that research, we started going to Boquete and Volcán, the coffee-growing regions in Panama, the highlands, in the Chiriqui province. So we started getting into it, and we started traveling over there like, like a bunch of tourists, really, you know? <laughs> At the beginning, it was kind of hard to get our foot on the door with these farms. They were really accustomed to selling to Asian markets. So we're like, hey, guys, what's up? We're two city guys looking for some beans. So it took a lot of doing and, and walking and get to know producers. But it was, it was a beautiful journey. You know, we started cupping some amazing geishas. And that was around 2013. A lot of farms were starting to do natural process geishas. So we're really like, wow, what are these flavors? You know, like really fruity, floral coffees. We're like, we definitely got to see these through, man. Like this is... Initially, we planned on having a really amazing coffee program in Maito. Mm -hmm. And when we saw the potential of the coffees we were tasting, we we're like, nah, this is our, its own entity, you know? Yeah. Let's make something special. And that's when Unido started coming out. We started getting the concept for it. We ordered uh, a roaster. I went out and did a couple uh, classes in Portland, or East End roasting classes. Yeah. And we found out, like, if we really want to get into this, we need to control the whole chain like a, a lot of these farms just get to the the green stage so we we had pretty clear we need to roast in the city and the main romance was like hey let's give the best panamanian coffee to panamanians i think uh we deserve to try this best of panama auction lots and so that was the, the main motivator you know and of course to drink it ourselves on a, on a daily basis <laughs> that, that didn't hurt either you know <laughs> Really neat that that mission is to give Panamanians the best of what Panama is producing, exactly, whether it's totally. the food yeah. or it's the coffee. Yeah. That's really nice. It was really lacking in that moment. Even like coffee shops, a lot of the coffee shops in that era were kind of like outdated 80s, uh, maybe like an older demographic. So you didn't really have a cool place for co-working and cool people to have a meeting. So not only the quality of coffee, but actually the experience of uh, just relaxing in a, in a cool environment with cool music that was lacking as well in Panama. So we're like, we should definitely get into this. Make that happen. Yeah.
Yeah, it was interesting. I was I mentioned to you guys I was in Ecuador and talking to some of the specialty shops in Quito, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how there wasn't really a, a third wave coffee scene or specialty scene, and that was part of their belief too to bring totally, the best yeah. of Ecuador yeah. to Ecuadorians. And they had some interesting tensions as well with the producers and kind of the producers' relationship with each other and how that actually impacted right. their sourcing of beans. Yeah. Was there yeah. tensions between producers? I, mean, I wouldn't say tensions. I think it was a new model for a lot of producers, and they needed a, to get the hang of it. They were like, okay, we're used to selling at a premium price, of course, Panama coffee. So it was something different, uh, yeah. and it took a little bit of getting used to it. We, we always felt well-received, but it was a new model, so like anything new takes a little bit of doing. Nowadays, we're proud to say we're like, more than than customers were like friends friends right. like okay. we go to the highlands we hang out they'll probably invite us to their house for dinner yeah we'll cup some coffee then have a, a couple beers after and it's a great relationship and, and we get to go there you know at least a couple times a month for sourcing especially during harvest so it's uh, really intimate and cool but uh, yeah it was definitely a new model and not only on the producer side but on the consumer side a lot of people were used to drinking you know, a more traditional commercial type of coffee. So that was another challenge. Like, how do I get people turned on to a lighter roast, to a more uh, complex, more acidic floral coffee? So that took a lot of doing as well. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of years was a lot of education. Yeah. Both ends. On our end, of course, we were, like, trying these amazing coffees and learning by the minute. On the producing end, like, all right, I have a, a local market, and then on the consumer end. So it was a, an era of a lot of change and excitement. And I see it throughout Central America and, and producing countries. There's like a, a thriving local thirst for these coffees. So it's really a beautiful time for coffee yeah. in producing countries. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. And a lot to pull on there, but we can't <laughs> let Ferris get away with hanging out over here. Um, so Ferris, you mentioned CEO and expansion. Kind of who are you and, and what's your relationship to Yeah, the group? I'm from Venezuela. South America, and I went to school in the hospitality industry of New York City, early 21st century. So I lived in New York for 16 years. And then I went to Panama to open a Japanese restaurant, and that's when I met Guillermo Sanmalo, which is another partner of theirs. And he was the one that brought me in to kind of like help them out and do the, the U.S. side of the business. So we chose D.C., in La Cosecha, to open our first shop. It's a Latin-inspired market in which we're going to be doing most of a coffee side of it. Nice. He's playing it down, man. He's a customer and experience genius, man. Genius, <laughs> man. I might be hiring you soon as well. No, man. <laughs> Benitez just has a little love for me, but no genius here. Man, good friends in here. Whoever wants to take this question, I'll lob it out there. So, Maito, you were talking a little bit about the structure of the whole Organization, yeah. Do you mind kind of playing out the organization of Maito, Cafe Unido, and then also why are we talking on a DC Coffee mm-hmm. podcast? You, know, you kind of alluded to it as well, Ferris. So, organization of Maito. So, chef, chef and owner, mm-hmm. partner, mm-hmm. owner, Panama product, Panama produce, showcase Panama to Panama, and then showcase Panama to the world. Yeah. As I said before, we were looking for this one ingredient that you could Google. Best of Panama, and at least Google will tell you <laughs> something that is the best. Yeah. And that's when coffee comes in. If you type best coffee in the world 
or if we want to be specific at least, most expensive coffee in the world, it should come out of Panama coffee. Yep. Top one, two, three, four, five. So it was like, oh, wow, we got this. Um, Benito said before, actually the coffee, we were traveling, getting to know the producers, getting to know the coffee, learning about coffee, thinking on having a coffee program at Maito. Mm-hmm. When we saw what it was, when we learn about geisha, when we learn about innovation in Panama, the producers, coffee process, it was just like, okay, well, this is, at Maito, we're going to just kill it, you know. We're not going to be able to actually tell the world that we have the best coffee of the world or one of the most expensive coffee in the world. Mm-hmm. Benito was at this moment in life that he just wanted to, like, you know, try something else. He was always on top of Maito, at Maito, doing the fun part of drinking and eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound bad at all. <laughs> so we were in the industry. We were traveling a lot mm-hmm. together. Um, Benito, uh, Manuel, which is the other founder, partner, and myself. We were traveling a lot together. New York mostly, like, eating around, checking out concepts, being, like... Inspired. Uh, being inspired, yeah, totally. And it just came along, money... Manny, which is a short to Manuel. Okay. He just came up like, hey, dude, uh, let's do a coffee roaster. You know, this is actually happening in the world out there. It's becoming uh, micro roasters and so on. It's way too advanced for Panama. Like, <laughs> when we did it, it was like 20 years advanced. Still is advanced yeah. for Panama. You know, it's like very niche. But, well, Benito, why don't you just go and learn how to roast and be a barista and come back and let's do it. Like, we're already focusing Panamanian product. This is our main goal of the whole group, trying to make Panamanian things or Panama out there in the map. Just take the shot, and he did, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? He had no doubt like, about like it. Two months in, our second job was the first and second came pretty quickly because there was a... Ace Hotel opening in Panama City. They used to work with Stumptown very closely in Portland. So they opened a branch in Panama and uh, Stumptown didn't want to go down there. So they knocked on our door. We have been in, open for about a month. And they're like, hey guys, we need a roaster to take along. So the second shop came in rather quick. So here is this guy. He, he's, a, he's a pretty good roaster. <laughs> I gotta say it. I don't know if he's gonna say it, but I gotta say it. Like this guy, he goes for a week program, week. It was a couple of weeks, yeah. A couple, couple of weeks program in Portland. Comes back to Panama, gets the roaster in, does the first roast. I'm there like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you sure you know what you're doing? You know, like, <laughs> he pulls out like a great coffee roast. At the moment for us, it was like, oh, second day after, like people from Stumptown, like, hey, we want a sample roast to open the... And I was like, fuck, man, these people, they do know about coffee. He's yeah. going to pull it off. Boom, he walked it, man. Like he did uh, the right. whole roasting. We, we, yeah, we forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was the second, it was actually your second roast. It was the second batch in that machine. Yeah, probably. Sure. And they cupped it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. cupped it. It was a natural process cut from Elia State. So it was a pretty powerful coffee. Yeah. It was uh, a pretty good batch. So you'd start out with one cafe, and now there's six in Panama. We have seven, okay. seven? in Panama City. Yeah. Okay. And then moving up to U.S. But Actually, like three months in, we got an offer. Of course, Panama Coffee has a name to it. So we've gotten different offers throughout our, our five-year history. Let's open a shop in Brooklyn. Let's open. 
So we we actually done trips to check out spaces in the past, and it's always been in the in the back burner. Like, hey, we definitely want to share this coffee. We have a very uh, privileged relationship with a lot of these farmers. Panama coffee is hard to get for to a lot of roasters internationally. It's uh, something you have your many maybe once a year. Yeah. So we're in a privileged position. So we definitely want to share that with with the world. So we've had the romance of the idea. Let's open somewhere else and share this. So when it finally came to fruition here in D.C. through Ferris for La Gossesia, it was like, definitely, man, a no-brainer. And I lived in D.C. for a couple of years. I came to college in D.C. Oh, nice. So it was Where'd like... Where'd you go? Uh, UW. Okay. So it's my old town. So I was like, man, this feels right, you know? Like, yeah. it's a cool market, Latin American. This seems like the cool place to make the first jump in the U.S. market. We have a lot of other vendors who's got our back so i think it's going to be a cool community so it just made sense to make the leap right now now that's really nice and kind of we're talking about the market and why it fit not only because your history there but also because uh, i'll probably mess this up so correct me la la cosa rough stuff here um <laughs> which, which is the harvest that's what it means yeah. the harvest yeah. i'll just yeah. say the harvest coffee market. like the coffee <laughs> no no <laughs> you're gonna go la cosecha la cosecha yeah. there, yeah. there we go <laughs> um you kind of talked a little bit about that ferris do you mind sharing more what that market's going to be and so that market is part of the union market so it's going to be like their new development in that area of dc and it's gonna the idea is to group some talented chefs and entrepreneurs from Latin America and expose their culture over there. So it's going to be kind of like a showcase of the Latin American culture in it. So you're going to have coffee, you're going to have some wine from Argentina and some other places like Bolivia or Ecuador that you were in that are making wine through some other vendors and a couple of other restaurants. Also some craftsmanship, some jewelers and stuff like that. Cocktails. Awesome. Cocktails. I'll just be there all the time. Yeah, that man. sounds awesome. Uh, you can I'm waiting for you, man. Get your <laughs> coffee at Cafe Nido in the morning, and then there eat and drink and all day. There you go. Yeah, you can start, you know, yeah. at 7 a.m. and they, be oh, by shoot. 11 well, you know? <laughs> it might be a little early, but yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Have you guys already been in contact with the other vendors and, yeah, and kind of what's yeah. going on there? We were here a couple, of, about a month ago. They did uh, the James Stewart Awards mm-hmm. at the venue. That uh, was kind of like the first event. Yeah, those are first of all, it was a James Beard gala kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so they were empowering women through that gala. Right. Yeah. So um, so we get, we got to hang out with a, a lot of the other vendors, and uh, it was instant chemistry. You know, like, yeah. hey, guys, we're here. Let's, let's rock it out. We had a beer in the back room. Like, man, we're going to knock it <laughs> out of the park. a rock star. You're in a bottle of wine as well. Yeah. 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 That went well. What other vendors, and you probably want to name them all, but which ones in particular are you excited uh, about being within La Cosecha? La Cosecha. La Cosecha with. I don't know their actual full names, but I think Sebastián from Malipacha. And there's Juanma from El Cielo. Then we have Juan Coronado and Daniela Sr. from um, Serenata Bar. We have Federico Tischler, I think, from Arepas, something about Arepas, right? And I think I run out of steam over here. No worries. That's a lot. <laughs> and we have Benito and Mario. <laughs> They're pretty good, I think. But uh, I think yeah. there's like a couple more, and I apologize that I don't know their names. And so, seven cafes in Panama City, mm-hmm. expanded to the United States and D.C. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the challenges that you've encountered trying to expand to D.C.? And what are some challenges that you expect to kind of keep running into? Definitely, it's a, a big step for Gafonido. It's a project we've had near our hearts, so to see it 
come into an international market, it's awesome. You know, it's a great feeling. Of course, there's a lot of stress involved in making it right. We're, we're opening people don't know Cafeonia here in the States. A lot of people, since Panama is such an, a boutique coffee producing country, very niche, a lot of people don't know Panama coffee. So I think our biggest challenge is going to be communicating that to customers. Okay, so Panama has this to offer, try it, uh, which at the same time is exciting because you're sharing something you love with a new market. So it's super exciting, but it's obviously going to take a little time to explain. There's so many different varietals and, and types of coffee for Panama. So it's we've only had a Panama coffee in our menus in all our, all our shops. Five years in, we're still explaining Oh, have you tried this Pacamara or this Geisha or this process? Or now they're going nuts with uh, fermentation and yeast. So there's a lot to communicate from mm -hmm. a single country. So that's I think it's going to be a cool challenge and fun, you know? Yeah. yeah. And how exciting is that? Um, the fact that when a lot of people go to a coffee shop, mm -hmm. it's you have multiple different roasts, multiple different coffees from different origins. And so when you try a naturally processed from Colombia and mm -hmm. then you try a natural from, say, Panama, yeah. I don't think you really recognize some of the nuances of mm -hmm. it. But when all your coffee is going to be Panamanian yeah. and then you can try naturals from all across the country. Right. Like how crazy of an experiment and uh, learning opportunity is that for? Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild, actually. Yeah. Uh, for the best of Panama, I'm actually a judge for the, the best of Panama auction. Mm -hmm. And uh, you separate the tables, which doesn't really happen at a cup of excellence. You have just one table and let the best coffee reign supreme, you know. Here you, ha you have to do different categories. Traditionals, you have your catuais, your tipicas, and then different process. Now they change the name from naturals to special process. Since mm -hmm. A lot of people are doing really experimental Carbonic maceration, we're working with special yeasts. And then the geishas, of course, have to be in their own category because it won't be fair to a traditional coffee. Yeah. So you have such a range of flavors coming from um, pretty much the same volcanic area, but you have different locations. You have Volcan, which has a different terroir than Boquete. So you have this microclimates, which are really noticeable. Even when I cup microlots from a single farm, They'll put a table out of, uh, you know, 50 samples. And sometimes they vary like a couple meters up and it's a total different cup profile. So it's really cool to experiment from a single estate, how much you can change from a different microclimate. Like, oh, this part of the mountain, I get a little more sun in the afternoon and you get a, a more pronounced acidity. So it's really fun to taste those nuances from a single estate, from a single producer's single area. Yeah, and that's so one of the things that as Cafeonia we want to do is uh, bring different experiences towards it. You know, so you can taste, you can do a geisha flight, like what Benito oh, said. Okay. You can do mm -hmm. different lots. You know, little uh, presentation, and you can actually kind of compare and be more interactive about what you're doing. You know, and mm -hmm. the showcasing of the country itself and the products. Oh, that's neat to have them back to back to back. Yeah, kind of experience. Yeah, hundred percent. So, would love to hear more about kind of your roasting philosophy, if you will. All right. And then what type of influence Mario is having with kind of your thoughts around the cafe and, and roasting and, and things like that? Uh, I've done a couple more courses throughout our English history. I always try to travel and, and be up to date with SCA courses and been up to San Francisco with the Wooden Boots, which mm -hmm. is, I don't know if you've heard of him. But mm -hmm. He also has a couple of farms in Panama and he's done a lot for Panama and Geisha coffee. We bought a Gieson from him in Panama, so we roast on a, on a Gieson in Panama City. 
So a lot has been education, a lot of trial and error, you know. The geisha bean, it's a tricky guy to roast. You know, a lot of these farms are close to 2,000 meters above sea level, so you have a lot of density in that coffee. The bean is also very um, elongated, kind of like canoe shape, so you have a lot of surface area to possibly scorch the bean. So it's a very tricky guy, man. And you have to find that sweet point where you're bringing out all those florals and nuances. I would say more risky for a geisha is to underdevelop than actually over-roast it. Most people know like geisha, I have to go light, right? I want to maintain florals, maintain fruitiness, acidity, citrix. But a lot of people tend to go a little too light and then you get a little herby, grassy. So it's such a narrow window to unlock those flavors that it's even to this day, six years in roasting geisha, every time I throw a batch in the roastery, I'm, man, I'm sweating. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm like, okay, hold my calls. Right, and then right. I'm throwing the new Esmeralda yeast lot. <laughs> please hold my calls. It's definitely a exciting, stressful moment. You know what a cool story? When I did my first roasting class course in Portland, Brian, whose ex-Stumpton alumni, did the roasting class. And he had a bunch of Dombashi Geisha washed back in 2012. He's like, dude, man, let's just roast it. Like, I think the course was over. And like, hey, anybody want to keep doing a couple of batches? And I only I stayed. He's like, you know what? Let's go nuts. Let's go down to the cellar and roast some Geisha. Oh, wow. So he's like giving my first heads up on, on what to watch for. Like, hey, watch out for this. So definitely it's uh, a very um, tricky but a uh, love affair with a coffee. And the more you go to farms... The more you see where it's being grown, okay, yeah, this is a little higher up, you have a better idea how to treat it. Especially like the, the fermentation, all the anaerobic fermentation that's going on this year, which we are bringing to La Cosecha, a lot of sugars on those beans. You know, like five days on a fermentation tank, maybe with yeast, you get a lot of sugars from the sherry. It's really tricky not to burn and scorch that coffee. Hmm. Definitely a, a fun time for innovation and, and how it translates to roasting. And it seems like that's happening in beer a lot, too. I was yeah. just up in northern Michigan, and they had Saison IPAs with peach and like yeah. a bunch of different things, barrel-aged, sours. And yeah. it's fun to see that transition into People to are coffee. getting funky, and they're, people like it, man. funky, you know, man. Flavors that might have been considered off 20 years ago for a traditional copper in Panama, well, that's enough flavor. That's a taint. That's a fault. Now it's like, wow, what is this? You know, yeah. Really, yeah. One of the things that I was about you, Mario, is that you've really used Panamanian ingredients, but also non-traditional ingredients to enhance your restaurants and the, the palate that people are tasting. How's that influencing Cafe Unido? Well, uh, totally. Like, uh, coffee, it's been like, since we started, it's been like, wow, what the fuck is this? You know, like, uh, I remember... As if it was yesterday, the first copying we did, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, first of all, we were like a couple of aliens. We were not part of it. and Or actually, more than the first copying, the first time we went to the best of Panama. The best of Panama, it's when judges come from all over the world and they are judging the coffee and then mm-hmm. point. The best lots of the, the year. The best lots of the year and the whole 90 points and 90 plus and, and so on. So we, we come in, my sous chef at the moment, Benito and I, 
and we start just listening to all these people sipping, you know, and it's like, I don't know how many people have been into a copying, but it's, it, yeah, that goes, just go amazing. Yeah. And, and the whole, it's like uh, being out there in the jungle, like, yeah. probably, like uh, I don't know how many amount of birds sipping. Yeah, right. And we're like, what is this? Like, we actually, we haven't had that experience before. And we were copying the best of Panama, so we were copying really, really good coffees. And it just blew me away, as Benito said. Like, in Panama, we separate traditionals, wash, traditional process, geisha wash, geisha process. And when I tasted the processed coffee, it was like, my God, what is this, you know? Like, it's when you really get all that funky flavor. It's like the whole fruits that you can imagine on your palate and then you start getting the citrix and the florals yeah. as well and when you feel the florals it's like damn this is a really well processed coffee because usually like you can lose some florals on natural process or processed coffee and it just blew me away from that day like yeah. okay we're getting into a really cool ongoing business or not even a business we're getting into a cult yeah, and a really cool cult. Like, we want to be part of this and learn more and, and be there. So having, like, the chef profile, I guess, and then, like, knowing a little bit about wine when I studied, like, I did the whole wine mm-hmm. process and wine tasting. Like, I I had it somewhere there. Like, and the, even the producers, like, they noticed at the beginning, like, hey, this dude, like, he knows how to identify flavors on coffee. It was cool that he would give, like, really interesting cupping notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the producers were, like, blown away. Like, man, this is coming from a different place, you know, from a chef's palate. Actually, one of the first off flavors that I brought to a table was saril, Jamaican flour. Hmm. It's very, like, hibiscus. Hibiscus, yeah. That's the turnaround on, on how when we cop together and part of Unido, like, how it, it could help or better out or actually have a great decision on which lot buying or not if we're copying together because it's not always I'm getting back into it with Benito I try to cop every time he's copying is that I bring different flavors on the profile yeah and it comes out to Benito like and then Benito has more of the coffee gigs profiles and and we learn both from each other like every time we cop together like do those flavors that you're thinking about that maybe Benito doesn't see does that in turn influence how you roast it then on the back end? Or is this after you've roasted it? Maybe uh, unconsciously you're mm-hmm. trying to, to highlight a certain flavor in a coffee. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely I would say so. Yeah. Of course, I always compare roasting to cooking. I think a lot of people do. A lot of people can buy the same green coffee and have completely different results. It's like a Mario getting a Calaloo and making it completely different from a different chef. But uh, sometimes we're thinking with the roasting on how Mario's going to use it in Maito for a, maybe a dish or pairing a dish with a pour over like in the middle of a tasting yeah. menu. So that, Do you mind giving an example of one yeah. dish that you paired with a so, um, pour over? So part of the whole story as well is like, yes, bring Panama coffee out there in the world. And then part of the other, the gastronomy part, it's like most of the fine dining restaurants out there in the world that charge you a couple of banks for your bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They serve you the worst, shittiest coffee ever. Yeah. Probably like a coffee pot. We won't mention any brand, but <laughs> fair, fair. But you're paying a $500 meal and then you're drinking a 15 cent coffee, okay. which is probably your last taste of the whole menu. Hmm. 
because you always order coffee at the end, you know, like, hey, uh, one espresso, and then you get all this shitty coffee, like, it's not fair, you know, like, yeah. fine dining should go all the way thinking into coffee. So it's very hard, like, to get people on drinking different coffee. Like, a pour-over, it's still, even though it's known, it's still not the first pick of someone. Probably people, when they think about coffee, they think about espresso. That's, like, a right away. Like, coffee, espresso. Especially in a, in a restaurant setting. Uh, exactly. So um, to keep educating about coffee in Panama right now on the menu, for example, we have... Uh, We get a lot of the cascara. You gotta say this one. Cascara. Cascara. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, Americanized it. <laughs> I, I get it right. Cascara? I, okay. Is that better? better? better. <laughs> well, give me one more shot. What is, say one more time. Cascara. Cascara. Okay. It's not cascara, guys. But, yeah. well, cascara, well known as cascara. Uh, <laughs> it brings out this amazing broth. You have no idea. Interesting. Okay. There's a lot of tamarind when you drink cascara drinks, but when you go in on the cooking method, like I hate cooking with coffee because I know probably I'm gonna overdo the temperature that coffee has to be treated. So I try to like to always obey how you gotta treat your ingredients in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. But then on the cascara, like I don't mind because it's just the shell of a coffee. I don't mind boiling that for a while. So I do this vegan broth from Cascara that has all this whiny taste because of the fermentation. Yeah. When you taste that, it actually feels like it has been like the demi-glass reduced for 24 days or one year and your demi-mother glass sauce. <laughs> and it's actually a two-hour Cascara narrow-down reduction broth. Oh, wow. It's amazing because it has all this like whinies and you get kind of meaty. And then we serve it on a cauliflower, like grilled cauliflower, and we give a bit of smoke into it. So it gets even meatier. I serve it on a skewer. So it feels like you're eating like a piece of beef yeah. with this demi glass. And for that, that could hold that, we need like a very natural process, like the most processy natural coffee that we can have. Wow. doesn't have to be geisha, even though the cascara is geisha. But, yeah, Benito must find, like, the most whiny processed coffee yeah. so it will purr and it will make sense, like, whiny. And the cool thing is he puts it out, like, mid-tasting menu, so you don't get it at the end. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Somebody comes out in the hall, they do a V60, they put it on the table, and they say, wait, two dishes? Yeah, I make you wait two dishes, so it cools down, and it's even whinier. Oh, the, that's awesome. The coffee. You know, we were talking about this in, in the best of Panama. Like I mentioned, a lot of people are producing these really, really interesting profiles with processing. There was one particular one that was super funky, you know, like cacao nibs, just whiny, boozy. They're like, maybe this is not a, an everyday coffee but it could be a cool coffee in a tasting menu setting. And it's already entering that realm, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the fine dining realm where somebody can drink a filtered coffee like, whoa, I'm used to espresso, what is this? And if you get it maybe in the middle of the, of the tasting, it's not so invasive. Yeah. And yeah. people get a, the hang of it. So it's very interesting what people are doing with, with profiles. And yeah. Yeah, it's fun to see or hear how Cafe Unido and Maito are starting to like 
be conversations with each other and, and bettering each other and right. uh, promoting Panama. And to your point about coffees for different purposes, mm-hmm. when I buy coffees in the morning, I drink a dark roast blend. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, I want more of a single origin, right. kind of a little more totally. refined and, yeah. and bright and fun. So maybe we'll start having coffee consumers who are literally buying two or three different types of coffee. Yeah. Like, oh, this is my weekend one. This is my afternoon. This is my that morning. Totally so, so there's wonderful food, wonderful coffee going on at your guys's companies but then there's also some deeper meaning and give back opportunities throughout both of the organizations do you guys mind sharing a little bit about your corporate responsibility for sure man actually when we were developing the idea for cafe unido which day one we knew was going to be kind of disruptive because uh, the panamanian coffee market was used to one thing and we were going to start buying coffee from farms and maybe so the main things we had in mind was we're going to source amazing coffee responsibly. Like, we're going to use farms who, who have a good program and don't put waste out from mm-hmm. processing out in rivers. So that was key, not only flavor, but sustainable farms. And second, if we're, we're going to have this business in the city and hopefully grow it in the future, we need to find a way to give back. Like, we already started going up to farms and walking farms and getting to know the area, and we saw a lot of room for improvements in the, the way people live over there and and the way it's structured for coffee pickers and all that. So it was in the DNA day one. Like definitely want to find a method to give back. And if people in the city or in the world really want to celebrate these coffees, I think they'll be in it to give back to the communities. Mm-hmm. So we started with the Fundacion, ah. Café Unido Foundation. Yes. <laughs> What, the real name of it, Fondacion Cafe Unido. We've there gone we go. through an array of different programs. We've worked directly with, with certain farms to help with uh, child labor and uh, education in farms and food. Mario's done some programs with better food for children and stuff like that. So definitely gone through a bunch of different programs. The one we're really excited about now, as I told you before, we did a program with uh, Beat. And we did a micro mapeo, like a mapping of potential producers. That was really fun. We've been going to Boqueta for six years plus, and we went to regions we've never been, like really remote people with the right altitude, people with the right microclimates. So we did a big uh, map, and the idea is to empower these people on varietals, on processing and eventually get to a point where they're producing beautiful coffee because we know they have the, the terrain. And last year, we actually bought quite a bit from a micro producer. So it's already starting to happen slowly. Unido always is on the lookout for good yeah. beans, especially coming to the U.S. So that's a project we're really excited about. Nice. Yeah. And what's you, you go and map? All the producers and then the types of varieties they're producing. Yeah, how they're we have all of that. that. And then people who are producing can look at that and say, maybe I should be producing this. Yeah. Is that it's okay. Yeah. Also piggybacking in the fact yeah. that what Benito was saying, most of the coffee is hand-picked. So it's not, we don't use uh, tractors or anything like it because the terrain is so crazy, right? And mm-hmm. it grows under its shade. These you know, nomadic families and tribes go and pick up the coffee. So what they're doing, uh, what we are doing, is providing the kids the means for the education while their fathers pick the coffee and not only education but also food they hand with Mario so they can get fed and have education while the fathers pick. So that's really important because you're improving that side of the business as well. Yeah. And these kids can grow up to a better future and uh, different things. 
And, and it's already happening. Like if we're buying coffee directly at source at a premium price for greens, that makes the farm watch a little closer to picking only ripe cherries or, or even like overripe cherries, depending on what coffee you're trying to, to make. Yeah. A lot of pickers are getting specialized and they get paid a premium for that as well. So it goes hand in hand. They're getting paid better wages. The coffee that's getting picked, it's, it's better. It's better. The processing is better. The roasting is better. So it just works out for... For everybody, it's a, it's a great like cycle, you know. And Which is the, where the name comes from, Unido. Uh, it's been united. It's what it translates to united. United. So you're getting the coffee pickers, the farmers, the processing, the roasting, the barista, and then back to the community. So it's all Unido, you know, it's for right. better coffee. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think you guys <laughs> should get tattoos like that. Hey, <laughs> if you get an Unido tattoo, you get a free coffee for life. <laughs> free coffee. <laughs> we can make the deal. You better right? watch out. This but it's going to be on the podcast, so it's going to be in the air, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you may see it on Instagram. Um, We're looking forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If you guys get it, maybe. Um, <laughs> that's really Let's do it right after the podcast. Yes. I mean, we yeah, should yeah, all go What are you guys doing this afternoon, man? You don't have to tell me too much, man. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to tell me too much to get <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's awesome. And it's really neat that that's always been a focus from day one. And that it's really in the DNA of Cafe Unido and Maito. And you know, the cool thing about Panama coffee, that, you know, ever since 2004, the first Geisha Esmeralda lot was in auction and sold for like $21 a pound, right. which at the moment was insane. It's not only been celebrating Panama coffee, but it's disrupting the whole market. So at a moment where the sea market is super low, like a lot mm-hmm. of farms are not sustainable, to be able to charge this much for a coffee, really, I think it's the future for uh, coffee farms being sustainable. You shouldn't feel bad about paying 10 bucks for a cup of coffee if it's amazing, because actually that's trickling down all the way to the producer. Mm-hmm. So Panama is, I think, disrupting in that in that regard. Yeah which we're really proud about, you know. It's like, yeah, man, you're paying more for your cup, but actually the farm is making a little money. Right. Why would you pay a buck for a cup if the farm's losing money? And uh, I think it's a time where people have to reflect a little bit on that and be like, hey, man, if I pay you 12 bucks for a cocktail at a bar, why not pay 7 bucks for a cup and have the producing country be actually sustainable? It's nice that conversation's changing. And I think even, yeah, you know, I've worked at a cafe for two and a half years and it's people are coming in and, dropping six seven dollars pretty easily totally. and for yeah. their morning yeah. coffee and yeah so it's good you guys are coming at the right time cool real two other questions pertaining to this will you be roasting in the u.s yeah nice. yes sir yeah. cool we're roasting here in dc i love it next five years where's cafe unido we're looking forward to be first settling in in the u.s and hopefully, you know, lead the movement in the world for the recognition of the Panama coffee and the Panama product and Panama Geisha as one of the leading coffees and teaching the people, you know, how these amazing things can... Uh, I was a regular coffee drinker when mm-hmm. I met these guys and, and it completely has evangelized me. I'm like, you know, I'm like a coffee snob now. I'm like, can you please get a natural Geisha? Right? Yeah. And it's true, you know, the product is amazing, but it takes time. You know, it's not something that is going to happen from one day to the next. It requires education. It requires a lot of will from our side and, and patience too. So what we're looking for is like 
to bring this amazing product and um, kind of like make it viral in the States and try to help our people back in Panama and keep, you know, growing our name, Panama Geisha, and the brand Panama Geisha in the world through Unido. Use Unido as a showcase for mm-hmm. all these amazing farms that we have in the highlands of Panama. Nice. We're super excited to share these coffees. We're going to be around personally for a while. We want to definitely communicate our experience and our, our story directly with all the customers that come in. I think these coffees deserve to be uh, explained a little bit better. And if you want to start getting into it, you can check us out on Instagram at Cafe Unido to start getting a little bit of the, the gist of, of our story and our love for Panama coffee. So yeah, we're looking forward to sharing these coffees with you guys. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for uh, traveling all the way from Panama. Thank you for having us. Just for you, man. Just for me, (laughs) just for the listeners of Drip. Thank you guys for being here. Wonderful conversation. Looking forward to sharing it. And people can find you online, Instagram, also Mm -hmm. at La Cosecha. Yes. Um, Otherwise, thanks to 202 Crates for hosting us here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks, guys. See you soon. And that's a wrap, folks. Be sure to visit Unido Cafe at La Cosecha. And keep up to date with the crew through their website and Instagram handle. Tell your friends about Drip, a DC Coffee podcast, and tag us or message us with ideas. DC Drip would not be possible without Mike Crockett, the engineer, Rogue Royals for the music, Rebecca Silverstein for logo and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks again for listening, and keep brewing community. <laughs>